neutrino converters on that. Yeah, not compensating for anything at all. Besides, I had my midlife crisis centuries ago. <gasps> Hyperion boosters. Ugh, got a room. We've got a little under 30 minutes to discuss The Eighth Doctor. 30 minutes? That's ages. I'll need a TV movie, a couple of books. Anyone for audios? Bring me knitting. For March 20th, this is This Week in Time Travel. Good afternoon, Chip. It's good to see you. Hi, Alyssa. We are going to have a shorter episode of This Week in Time Travel. The last couple have been so long, and we're going to be talking about the Eighth Doctor and his expansive television presence. So that'll be just, you know, like five minutes and then we're done, right? There's a little bit more to it than that, but we are going to be taking it a little bit slower this week because we are prepping for Regeneration Who next weekend. So we are spending a a lot of planning time on that. Absolutely. Regeneration Who, that's going to be 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. If you're going to be in the Baltimore area, you need to be at this convention. You need to come see us and our special guest for her appearance on the main stage at Regeneration Who. We're going to be talking to Rachel Talalay. So it's going to be fantastic, and we hope that you can join us. And that episode will drop the same day, unless I drop. Don't drop, Chip. Please don't drop, Chip. I will try not to. A little bit of news this week. A new interview with Jodie Whittaker in the Sunday Times. There weren't a lot of new quotes or information from it because I'm beginning to think that BBC marketing are all transplants from Apple Computer or something because they just don't talk about anything until the big announcement. Uh, She does say, don't be scared by my gender. Doctor Who represents everything exciting about change. And she certainly comes across as just Utterly delightful in every way, but we get a bit of a bonus thanks to this interview. Yes, we do get a tremendous photo shoot of Jodie Whittaker in this gorgeous wool sweater that looks very similar to the shirt that she is wearing in her new costume. I have looked up where to buy that exact sweater. I am weeping a little bit at the cost, and some of you wonderfully awful people on Twitter are encouraging me to spend the money anyways on it. So please stop doing that because my bank account is crying a little bit right now, but we will have the link to the photo shoot in the show notes. Check it out. It's really great. And Big Finish is continuing its expansion into the world of post-2005 Doctor Who with a new series that's going to involve Michelle Ryan, formerly of EastEnders and also formerly Lady Christina in Planet of the Dead. She's coming back for a series. So lots of neat stuff happening with Big Finish. Lady Christina would not have been my first automatic choice for a Big Finish series. Uh, Alyssa, what did you think of the character back when uh, Planet of the Dead came out? As fine wouldn't have been my big choice either. But, you know, if two side characters from the talents of Wang Chiang can, you know, have an ongoing series of Big Finish audios, why not try it with Lady Christina? Yeah. Space Cat Burglar to the Stars. I mean, it's probably going to be pretty great, come to think of it. And I did think that uh, she was loads of fun in Planet of the Dead. She was not to everybody's taste, but then Planet of the Dead wasn't to everybody's taste. Fly dudes in boiler suits. It's just talk about classic Doctor Who monsters. Yes, but it should be very interesting, and I'm excited to see what new stories that they will have for her. 
So we're going to talk about the Eighth Doctor in just a second, but first, a quick word from the Incomparable Network. This is the time of the year when we remind you about how you can support this podcast by becoming a member of the Incomparable. You can sign up for a monthly or annual pledge to support this podcast directly. Here's what you do. Go to theincomparable.com slash members and sign up. You'll then be asked to pick the shows on the network you'd like to support. If you just check the box for this week in time travel, your entire contribution will come to us after a few fees are taken out. If you listen to other podcasts on the Incomparable Network, you can also check their boxes and your contribution will be shared equally by all the shows you want to support. As a thank you for supporting us, members receive lots of extras. There's exclusive bonus audio, a bootleg podcast where you can hear episodes of shows right after they're recorded without having to wait for the edited version to arrive, and a members-only community on Slack. Since this is pledge season, many of the shows on the network will be posting bonus episodes just for members. We're joining our friends on the Incomparable Network, whom you've heard from on Radio Free Scarrow and Verity. Stephen Chapansky and Erica Ensign of Lazy Doctor Who, and also Incomparable host Jason Snell for a talk about the state of Doctor Who in 2018 exclusively for Incomparable members. There are contribution levels at $5, $10, and $20 per month, and annual equivalents are available as well. And if you're already a member, it's easy to increase your pledge to a higher level and get some special goodies in return. So if you'd like to support the work that we do, go to theincomparable.com forward slash members to sign up. And thank you very much. Paul McGann was the eighth doctor for a very, 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 very long time, except American television had a difference of opinion of whether Doctor Who should really be a series again back in 1996. Yeah, there was a a lot of really interesting back and forths about how the whole Eighth Doctor TV movie came to be. Uh, And it's basically a fascinating insight into the state of television production at the time. Uh, I think reading more about how this movie came to be, what struck me the most was that uh, at one point, Disney was looking at buying the entire rights to Doctor Who and having Steven Spielberg head up the project. Um, so Disney nearly became uh, even more of a geek conglomerate than it is at the moment. Yeah, there is a magnificent documentary on the TV movie DVD called The Seven Year Hitch about what it took to get that thing made. Uh, I saw it debuted at Galley years ago, and I recommend it to anybody who happens to have that plastic disc in their possession. But uh, it's an odd, odd movie, which is a nice sort of bridge between survival and Rose, no question. But the structure of it is kind of weird, and it doesn't exactly show off Paul McGann to his greatest effect. What do you think of the eighth doctor in that TV movie? And what do you think about Paul McGann? Well, Paul McGann is dreamy and I could basically watch him act in anything all day because he is a delightful, delightful person. I think that the TV movie is really 90s sci-fi at its full on finest and wackiest. Uh, It is, I first saw the TV movie uh, with a group of my girlfriends in college. Uh, We were all big Doctor Who fans, and we knew this thing existed, but we had no idea about what it was and what it was going to be like. So we were sitting like 
seven of us in a very small dorm room with two pints of ice cream and just barreling through the ice cream as we are watching this movie. And there are moments where we laughed, where we were definitely not meant to laugh, but also moments in which we just genuinely enjoyed it. It was not at all what we were expecting, but it was still fun to watch. And it's a weird pastiche of a bunch of different things because they're trying to do so much all at once. They are trying to bring this British television show that not a significant portion of North America is familiar with to a new audience. They are trying to completely change the format with the beginnings of a story that started when they were still trying to get this as a TV series and not a two-hour television movie. So you have little weird subplots that show up, but nothing is really significantly done with them um, because it's sort of the remnant of a much larger, longer story. They're trying to get in a bunch of details about the whole series of Doctor Who, which ends up with a lot of odd expository moments because they're trying to get, you know, decades of history condensed down into a two-minute line that doesn't sound awkward. And even two minutes is way too long for an expository line. It's, I feel pretty good about two minutes myself, but continue. It's a really ambitious project that is trying to revive this show um, when it wasn't originally intended to. It actually was started just the genesis of it was still at the end of uh, the TV series. Uh, and so it's it's a really sort of a fascinating, weird Frankenstein of a piece. And I don't mean that to insult it necessarily, but just to comment on how much they were trying to do, how many changes happened to the format uh, and the structure and the content of what ultimately we see on screen. It's so many different things at once that in the end, it doesn't really land as a coherent story on its own, but it's still something that I have an immense amount of fondness and appreciation for. Paul McGann comes into the story with the Frankenstein parallel just laid right out there. You know, he's alive, he's alive and all that stuff. But he doesn't show up until 22 minutes into the darn story. And he spends most of the first half of the thing when he is on camera trying to figure out who he is. But when we finally get to know him a little bit, when he finally delights in the fact that he's gotten the shoes to fit perfectly, he's delightful he's warm he's dare i say seductive oh yes he is you can say that it's a hundred percent a fact <laughs> which you know that is actually the default uh, state for paul mcgann himself uh you and i both got to see him be interviewed by kim and sage of head over feels for uh this or that Kim and Sage should just basically be on retainer to interview him on stage at every convention appearance that he has, because you will not get two better interviewers for Paul McGann to bring out just everything that is utterly delightful about him. If this had gone to series, I think that we would have seen a very interesting, warm but prickly sort of Fifth Doctor-esque take on the Doctor. And... And I'm really sorry in some respects that we didn't get that. I think if the TV movie had gone straight to series, 
I don't know that we would have gotten the 2005 series of Doctor Who. I think that ultimately this all worked out best for the franchise, but gosh, he's low to fun, even with that silly wig. The wig is very silly, but I will take Paul McGann with long hair basically any day of the week. I want to get back to that point in a minute because I think there's something really fascinating about the evolution of the character from TV movie to audios and something that we certainly wouldn't have seen uh, had it continued on an American TV show. But I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the TV movie and some of the uh, other characters that we see in it a little bit and how sort of they establish the foundation for Paul McGann's character. You have two sort of companions um, for the Doctor. The main one, obviously, uh, being Dr. Grace Holloway, who is both the woman who kills him and then uh, has him, you know, almost, you know, reintroduces him to the world, brings him back to life and reminds him who he is. And then you have Lee, uh, who is partially also responsible for killing him accidentally of, you know, he's he's in the middle of that gang shootout there, but does bring him into the hospital. So good on you. But then also is responsible for nearly killing him because he works with the master for a little bit. They are two very interesting and fun characters. I have to say I have a particular amount of fondness for the very 90s feminism that they're trying to bring in with Dr. Grace Holloway. Uh, Um, Say more. Say more. What's 90s about it? So it's very post-feminist girl power kind of feminism um, in which they are trying to show a world in which and I'm going to get a little into film theory. It's basically the the era that follows the first surge of the feminist movement uh, in the 60s and 70s in which Pop culture presents a world in which women have it all. Women are equal and representative, and it's sort of moving into thinking about women in their home lives more, not always in a great way. It gets into a very sort of reductive, regressive thing. But there's there's these moments of girl power, moments of they get to say the snappy feminist thing, and that's how they're sort of presenting themselves as, yes, we're feminists, rah-rah women. And Grace is very much falling into the mold of that presentation. You know, the story opens with her losing her boyfriend because she is a doctor who is on call for emergencies and has to leave in the middle of a date because of that, which is just so many layers of ridiculous girl dump his ass. You were better than him anyways. And when she's getting to know the doctor, there is an explicitly romantic sexual tension between them. And so he's sort of filling that hole in her life now. But they do have those moments. So you get to uh, you get the jokes about both of them being doctors. And when you get to the end, the doctor invites Grace to travel with him. And it's a very, you know, beginner companion moment of come with me. And Grace immediately turns that around on him says, you come with me of inviting the doctor into her life, rather than expecting to go into his life. And it's such an underplayed moment and one that I wish they'd spent more time writing and building out about why Grace wants to stay on Earth. And it's really production needs. This is not continuing pretty much after this. And so they need to, you know, close off her story with the doctor. But uh, it's that's very much that nod of, yeah, no, uh, I'm not going to do that traditional companion line. I'm going to turn it back on you thing. So it's it's great. Grace is a delightful character. I just love having a Californian as the doctor's companion for a little while. Perry's 
almost that, but Grace is definitely that. So there's very much a hometown girl pride for Grace Holloway coming from me right now, even though she's from San Francisco, which is just the wrong part of California. Anyways, oh you, San Franciscans can fight oh me on this later. <laughs> Throwing shade at Northern California here. Goodness gracious me. Getting back to the eighth doctor himself, I would love to have seen more of him. At that stage, you know, as he was young and full of fake hair and excited <laughs> about his shoes, the structure of the TV movie doesn't allow him to be a proper hero. Mm -hmm. um, he spends a lot of time clockwork oranged up and things mm -hmm. like that. But there are there are hints. And if they had done something like they, you know, I think Russell T. Davis learned a lot from this TV movie in writing Rose, you know, giving the Rose actually ends with the companion saving the day, not uh, not the doctor. But you do get enough of Christopher Eccleston having agency, blowing things up and, uh, and, and and being sort of in charge for the most of it. That's stuff that I think Paul McGann would have benefited from well. So after the TV movie went out, there were Eighth Doctor Adventure novels that were published by BBC Books. But he really came alive in Big Finish. He did. I think it's one of those places in which we really get to know the Eighth Doctor more because, and, and no disrespect to the novels, but you get more of that input from the actor in Big Finish of uh, Paul McGann gets to come in and lend his voice and lend his characterization. And it's really nice that he had that opportunity to continue building on the character that way. And it's something that I very much appreciate that we get to see the evolution of the Eighth Doctor's character over time, not just as, you know, the Doctor and adventures and things like that, but they really evolved his character um, leading up to his ultimate regeneration into the War Doctor through the audios. They also really get to show new sides to him um, by bringing in really interesting stories, but also new companions that he can play off of and really develop new relationships with. Because that's an important point to remember with every doctor, so much of who they are is defined by the companion that they're with and how they interact with them and what stories that they have together and how they both evolve and have a relationship together. And I've not listened to every single one of the Eighth Doctor's audios. I'm going to straight up say that because there's many companions that I still have not gotten to yet. Um, but I've listened to quite a few with Charlie Pollard and Lucy Miller, who are both absolutely delightful and bring out really different sides to the eighth doctor. Uh, that's just tremendous to see Paul McGann get to work opposite those actresses. Yeah. There's one big finish audio in particular I want to highlight and it is, it's, it's not the, biggest most important story uh ever but it just delights me and it's called max warp have you heard that one i haven't heard that one yet no so it is very much a parody of the bbc's top gear tv show specifically of the show when it was in its heyday with jeremy clarkson and james may and richard hammond max warp is a has the Doctor and Lucy showing up on a planet that has a, a Top Gear-style show about spaceships. 
called Max Warp, you know? And early on, the Doctor is just absolutely geeking out about all of the spaceships that are sort of littered around the production area of as 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 if he was at a car show. And he's having his these shoes fit perfectly moment about cars. And Lucy Miller is just audibly rolling her eyes at him as he goes prattling on about stuff. And then there's a murder mystery and other stuff like that. But childlike wonder and delight, that is that phase of the eighth doctor, which is lovely to hear. I have not heard that, but I want to immediately go by that audio. I have two favorite stories so far, which are both Charlie stories. The first is her very first one, Storm Warning, which is a really great moment for both of these characters to play off each other as they're getting introduced to one another. Isn't that um, the first, isn't that the very first Paul McGann audio? Yeah, I believe it's also his his very first audio as well. And it's a kind of lovely reintroduction to the Eighth Doctor to bring him back. That was one of the very first Big Finish audios I ever listened to. Actually, it was the second Big Finish audio. Um, the first one was The Light at the End, which was the 50th anniversary story that Big Finish did, which is also delightful, has many of the Doctors uh, in it, as well as appearances from uh, the first three played by other actors and using recorded bits of audio from them uh, from previous stories. So that's great. And I love that one dearly. But my absolute favorite big finish audio with the Eighth Doctor is actually The Chimes of Midnight, which this this wonderfully creepy Christmas story in which the Doctor and Charlie are trapped. And I can't say anything more without giving away what makes that plot so delightfully scary and creepy. But I play it every Christmas when I'm doing all my big Christmas baking, um, because sort of the crux of the story is about cooking at Christmas. And so, yeah, I'm that person that likes to creep out my family by You playing. have a creepy Christmas tradition. I have a creepy Christmas tradition. I play creepy audio stories about baking and do that while I'm doing my own baking, because it is fun and meta and I like it. And I'm very sorry to my mother and my sister <laughs> for doing that, but I enjoy it. Uh, I try to do it when they're out of the house so I don't creep them out. But it's it's one of my favorite stories. And uh, it's kind of everything that I love about the Eighth Doctor. It's compassionate and kind, but also has righteous fury and has a bit of that romanticism as well. So very, very much enjoy that one. There was some question when the new series came back, whether the Eighth Doctor actually existed in canon anymore. There were references off-camera to Christopher Eccleston being the Ninth Doctor, but until we get to human nature and a sketch in the Journal of Impossible Things of Paul McGann, we never get in-the-show confirmation that the Eighth Doctor actually existed. And then as a complete and utter surprise and a gift to the fans in the 50th anniversary year, Stephen Moffat did do a short episode called Night of the Doctor. And the eighth doctor is a doctor, but not the one you were expecting for sure. New costume, more care given to it than the new costume they gave Paul McGann for the Big Finish Adventures. But he just fits in that character so seamlessly. And damn, but I want flashback adventures. Damn, but I want Jodie Whittaker to run into Paul McGann. Oh, that's one that I really, really want to see happen. I know there's been some reluctance to have 
you know, episodes in which new doctors meet classic doctors. But dang, second only to having Peter Capaldi come back, having Paul McGann come back as the war doctor. Well, not the war doctor, but like the doctor during the time war, um, the beginning of that. Can't say war doctor anymore. Dang. Uh, would be just fascinating. And I would love, 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 love for him to come back into a TV episode. But canon is such an intensely debated thing in Doctor Who. And I'm very much of the camp of which there is no canon, unless when I would like to debate it for fun. But one of the things that many people enjoyed about the Night of the Doctor was the Eighth Doctor gave a toast uh, to his companions in Big Finish, um, which for those of you who like debating over canon, uh, for many people, was a very bold statement of they are canon. They were the Eighth Doctor's companions. We count them. And so it was a nice nod to people who stuck with the Eighth Doctor and continued enjoying his adventures through Big Finish. Um, but he's just a delight in Night of the Doctor, even though it's a very sort of sad, depressing story of his death and regeneration and how war weary he is. He just has moments where that charm shines through. Oh, yeah. And it's an economical script, and Stephen Moffat's glibness just pairs so perfectly with McGann. You know, the front of the ship is going to crash first. Let's let, let, let's figure it out. That's why we're going to the back of the ship. Bring me knitting, you know, when he is, you know, he's not the emo doctor, but he is very disappointed in himself and in his role for not having stopped the time war after Cass decides that he is just as dangerous as the Daleks. Uh, it is such a great performance, and you see evolution of Paul McGann's idea of who the Doctor is from the TV movie all the way to everything he did in sound studios at Big Finish to that moment. I genuinely want more. I genuinely want more. Exactly. And I think going back to our earlier point, you know, I love a lot more of what they did with the Eighth Doctor with the evolution from the TV movie to the Big Finish audios to the Night of the Doctor. I think if the Eighth Doctor and the rights to Doctor Who had stayed with American production companies, we would have gotten something very different. You know, they were going with the Eighth Doctor movie into some characteristics that were very sort of I hesitate to say this, but I don't really know a better explanation. Very American sci-fi, really, of the time of they are trying to find a lot more uh, mystery by kind of bending and breaking things about the canon. I was never really a big fan of that idea that, you know, the Doctor is half human. I think it's more interesting to have an alien who is attempting to mimic humans because he likes humanity rather than someone who is trapped by it. And they were going for a very different relationship with the Master. That was almost what they had in the TV show, but kind of significantly different from it, that I think you know, they would have been two very different characters. Um, but I like the doctor that we ended up with. Right. So if you're dipping your toes into the world of the eighth doctor, if you haven't seen much of it, I'm sure that you're very, very methodical and continuity oriented. And you'd advise people to dive right into the TV movie, right? Nope. Wait, what? Breaking it all. Breaking it all. Uh, I'm actually probably going to go with a slightly controversial position here. I think if you're new to the Eighth Doctor, you don't start with the TV movie. 
There's a few reasons for that. One is the TV movie is odd even for 90s science fiction. As a child of the 90s who grew up on a lot of TV shows and movies that looked like it, I have a fair amount of fondness for it. But I think that it's a very difficult place to start beginners at because they are breaking a lot of things with the Doctor Who canon. There is a very different format for it. Um, and it doesn't really, you know, it's a little bit of the odd child in Doctor Who. It does show the influences of having different production companies and different writers involved with it. I think that if you're someone who's looking for, you know, more, that's something more representative of what the Eighth Doctor is actually like, start with Big Finish Audios. Um, I would recommend starting with Storm Warning, for example. And I say that because I know that sometimes people feel there's a larger barrier to entry with Big Finish Audios, that you have to relearn how to appreciate Doctor Who stories. Because it's a different experience listening to the audio than watching a movie. And you have to invest a little bit more energy into that. It's sort of the same way you have to relearn to read when you are reading comic books versus novels because you learn to pick up visual cues that you don't have in novels. And it's a little bit like that with audios. You are listening for audio cues differently than you do when you're watching a TV show or a movie. But it's definitely doable, and it's a little more in line with who the Eighth Doctor is. I think definitely watch the TV movie, and preferably with a good glass of bourbon and some ice cream to really enjoy the experience. Um, but I'd say actually start with Storm Warning. I don't think you're being terribly controversial. I am going to give a slightly different spin on it. I recommend people start with the Eighth Doctor with... Blood of the Daleks, which is the first Lucy Miller story for a couple of reasons. One, it's really damn good. And it's got, okay, three reasons. One, it's really (laughs) damn good. Two, it's got Haley Atwell in it. It's got Haley Atwell in it. It's got Agent Carter in it. And three, it is the leadoff to a series of big finishes that were also produced for uh, BBC Radio and the format follows the TV show very, very closely. So it's a it, these are except for the opener, which is a two parter. These are these are stories that are done in forty five or fifty minutes. Um, if you are if you came to Doctor Who with the new series, new series, he said it started in two thousand five. I feel <laughs> old. Um, if you came there with that. Listening to Blood of the Daleks and Horror of Glam Rock and all of the other stories that began with that one, they've got energy. They just move delightfully quickly, and they've got a modern storytelling sensibility. A lot of big Finnish audios prior to that point felt like the classic TV series, and they might feel a little slow to somebody really, really used to watching David Tennant running around. So I would totally begin with Blood of the Daleks. Sheridan Smith is delightful, and Lucy Miller has an arc, has a story arc that's really, really fascinating, and the Eighth Doctor just shines. So that's where I would recommend people start. I would agree with that, too, but I like Storm Warning slightly more. So I'm going to be here in my corner with my old audios. That's qu- that's quite all right. Quite all right. I think that Paul McGann is very much the fans' doctor. Not that the fans have sort of created the Eighth Doctor, but there was so much content created for the Eighth Doctor 
that the general population is just not aware of, and yet he is just as full and remarkable and interesting as any of the doctors who came before. Absolutely. 100% agree. So, we told you where to go. We told you to go to Big Finish. We'll have a knockdown drag-out fight off-microphone over which one you should start with, but we've given you some perfectly good alternatives. The Eighth Doctor, he's canon. Thanks for joining us for this edition of This Week in Time Travel. You can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're also on Twitter at drwhothisweek. You can find Chip on Twitter at numeral2minutetimelord. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Feminism. We're also on Facebook, too. The next episode of This Week in Time Travel drops this Saturday after the live show is presented and we've had a chance to recover. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music and to David J. Lore for our artwork. If you're in Baltimore, we will see you. If not, you will hear us next Saturday on This Week in Time Travel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.